Welcome back to part two of this Hello You podcast outside special. Having spent time exploring the idea of outside on Louise's allotment in part one, in this second half we're going to be asking about bringing nature into cities and workplaces, exploring the benefits of natural rhythms and disruptive forces on places which are meant to be designed for productivity. Do we need that supposed to bring it in or can we it can we involve the outside more? Mm. If that makes makes sense. I mean something that it struck me, and, and my partner Chris actually blogged about it on his um, Psychobabble blog, um, was the practice of, and I'll just have to double check, it's Shinrin-yoku. I have no idea if my Japanese pronunciation is any good at all, probably not. Let us know but if it's, it's completely wrong. <laughs> let's we'll take the, feedback. <laughs> let us know what the right pronunciation is. But it's um, forest baths. Yeah. And so it's not literally having a bath in the forest, so that, that probably works. But it's just the <laughs> It's a different it's, thing. It's a different thing. Um, but it's just the idea of actually going out for a walk in a forest yeah. does very particular things to the body. Um, and so bathing as in being surrounded by yeah, exactly. You know, and, kind of... and whether that's the the experience when I sort of call it for like visual static, there's so much to look at mm. that it's not overwhelming but it just gives your eyes a chance to do all sorts of different things. But actually there's a I think it's still a theory, I don't know if it's been proved, but the, the trees give off certain things to ward off buggies and beasties and things that will kill them. Oh, okay. And it's a natural, it's almost like, as I understand it, the tree's natural immune response goes into the air, which ah. goes into you, I which think. Then, yes. Which then help, it actually tops up your immune system. I think there have been some studies done about immune responses and, and so on, and, and uh, trees and forests. Interesting. But again, there's this lowering of, low, to us about cortisol, there's the lowering of cortisol, um, which can be tracked. There's decrease in heart rate, decrease in blood pressure. All of these things come from being outside. Mm. And actually, whether there's then a practice of, yes, bringing the outside in to business, yeah. bring plants and so on, but can we bring business outside and we've been yeah, talking before about kind of walking take, meetings yes. and, and stuff like that taking yourself um, and taking work outside yeah. into so the, one of the things that really interests me about the idea of spending more time outside is the different rhythms i'm just watching a cinnabar moth actually fluttering they're, they're very oh, very bright pink like. that's what they look like oh, i was cool. telling neil about them earlier they've got this amazing for anyone who doesn't know what a cinnabar moth is it's amazing kind of hot pink wow hot pink wings and they come from caterpillars that are um yellow awesome. and black striped they say they're unmistakable highly poisonous to um to birds we should, photos. Yeah, we should add photos yes and they're, they're warning colors um but even that breaking into my flow is part of the rhythm of being outside and there's something about the passage marking the passage of time mm. when you're outside that it looks you know the weather will be different it looks and feel different it feels different at different times of day at different times of the year you know one month is very distinct from another when you're outside from the amount of light the quality of light the colors around you colors of the leaves the amount of leaves the different plants um, the different plants that are flowering or fruiting mm. and i one of the things i really find difficult um, in in my working practices or when I look back I used to work uh, 10 hour days as a minimum I'd be stuck in an office or I'd be travelling um, on a train and I lost all sense of the passage of time the months blended into one I kind of lost summers um, which is really sad because I love summer um, but when I'm outside and when I get outside regularly and when I can see outside I know what time of year it is I enjoy the sun yeah. I enjoy the summer I enjoy the winter i enjoy the passage of time and it's a it's a completely different rhythm it's a it's a rhythm that i connect to the rhythm that is already established outside of me in 
nature in the world instead of having my life entirely dictated by a kind of mechanical work rhythm yeah no that's yes that really true I mean it just suddenly made me think there's um, it's an airline I want to say Emirates I've got a thing they've got a starry sky in their Ooh. cabin I think it's Emirates or they, yeah. were, they were going to do it someone somewhere so when it's night they turn the lights down but then the mm. ceiling kind of lights up there's also um, I'm going to say Vegas someone somewhere could correct me but there is something that is inside that tries to map the the changing of the day and the changing of the seasons mm. a little bit with the light mm. and actually as you were talking I was thinking well yeah the, if you're working inside all the time you get very kind of bogged down you get that kind of electric light thing it is, it's unchanging mm. and I, I find when I've done it in the past my body doesn't actually know what's going on yeah. and it gets really confused so when yeah. I go when I walk out the door and it's night time my, like, my body's going what, what who yeah. and, I can't, and then I can't sleep for a few hours because I've been working yeah. maybe I've been working a long time but my body is light wired yes if you like and it's saying no 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 it's still 12 o'clock because it's bright and you're having to squint to see the screen it's yeah. actually no it's like 6 o'clock in the evening and you should and you be should be winding down cutting into the audio for a moment the idea of rhythms struck a real chord with both of us how do human and mechanical rhythms work and how does this lead into the effect of our environment on us? And I remember mentioning this the other day um, to, to you, Neil, but I, I've got a slightly odd book that's all about... It's called Soundscapes. Um, and there's, there's, just, there's one interesting point in there, which is about the rhythms of work. And pre-industrial revolution, this, you know, the author suggests that um, work was guided by human rhythms, the rhythms of breath and people were much more likely to sing in order to create a shared rhythm. So work was driven by very human human rhythms. Whereas post-industrial revolution, work is driven by mechanical rhythms and actually singing in the workplace declined. Okay, yeah. Um, and and it, you know, and that's, that makes me think, I feel, kind of think similarly about the modern office, is that it's about a kind of mechanical rhythms. And it's, it's also, it it's seems to be about creating an unchanging environment. Yes. Designed for productivity, yeah. um, you know, create a stable and unchanging light so that you yep. can work no matter what time of day it is. Uninterrupted internet connection, um, <laughs> you know, a kitchen so you you don't even have to leave the workplace yeah. to get a drink. Yeah, no, it it does, and I think that we were talking before. I think about the that controlled environment, and then if contrast the experience to the allotments. I mean, as soon as we got down here, you were yes. down there. There's a weed. There's weed, yeah. Because literally, the weed was literally in the weeds. I was literally um, in the weeds. Yeah. But that kind of creative chaos of outside, where stuff is growing and stuff is allowed to happen and stuff sort of needs and to happen to let other things happen, versus yeah. that very sterile office environment. And I'm not sure how you can bridge the two, aside from maybe putting your desk in the middle of the Eden project. <laughs> Which would be inside, outside, and to me would be amazing. It would fritz your computer, wouldn't it? It would. Unless you're in the desert zone. Unless you're in the desert zone, yes. That would probably be okay. But that kind of, how how you can get that experience of the outside and that slightly chaotic, you don't know, if the wind blows, you don't know if your squash plants are going to rotate. Absolutely, and and die. (laughs) And die. Um, And you, Um, you have to work with the fact, if it rains, you can't dig. It's pointless. Yeah. And then it doesn't matter if I've managed to set aside a whole day for digging. If it pees it down with rain, I, there's no point in me digging. Yeah, exactly. And there's that. You do so, I suppose you go and do something else. Yeah. Whereas then what I'm thinking from what you were saying, what the discussion's gone, is that in, I suppose in the office, if something. Well, things don't really change unless you get like a massive power outage. And so you sort of yeah. do what you intended to do. Yeah. Whereas outside, 
you can intend to do something and then suddenly find you've got to completely pivot and go off and do something else. Yeah. You have to be much more kind of adaptive. Have to be and more adaptive, more spontaneous. Rolling and rumbling. Yeah. And and I and I do think for for my practice, actually that that's a good thing. That it's Definitely. not all predictable, that I'm not stuck at my desk from nine to five or eight till eight, as I've done in the past. <laughs> um that that I yeah. Things, things happen, things intervene in my day and that might take my work in a different direction or I might just say, oh, well actually I need to just go with this but then I'll come back to work later. Yeah, yeah. I have choices around that. Roll and rumble. My thing is, I've been thinking outside and again, thinking about, actually back to our last episode about language and meaning, we were mm. we were riffing at, at length on, on some of our hated terms. We were, yes. um, And we, we did cut some of the length, admittedly. But a lot of it comes from... Um, the environment of inside, the environment of the office, the environment of corporate culture, the we must be innovative, millennials, mm. or not authentic, innovative, artisanal, artisanal millennials, millennials, whatever. God, they're horrible. But outside, there's something I came across while doing this research, um, whistling language. Oh. Um, include, there's, a, there's not a bad 10-minute documentary on YouTube. Um, oh, we'll share the link in the show notes. Definitely, definitely. And it's in Canary Islands, Lagomora, I think is how you, you pronounce it. But basically, the people who, who lived there needed to communicate over large distances over this beautiful volcanic kind of terrain. And they came up with an entire language based on whistles. Um, I think, wow. I mean, again, I sort of looked into it a bit, and I, I know bits about linguistics, not a huge amount. Um, but there is apparently some debate around the level of language that it is. But it has complexity for syllables. I believe it has the complexity wow. for vowels okay. as well. And it has, it has a lot of complexity, and it is, for all intents and purposes, an entire language. And wow. I just found that really fascinating, actually, thinking back to our last episode about how the inside corporate environment influence language actually how much we hated that yeah how much i love the idea of the fact that i need to communicate with you three valleys away you have to make up a whistling language yeah so that's the environment your people adapting to the environment because because that's a given and you can't change it yeah instead of the kind of office approach which is we're going to create an environment which will be maximal or you know optimal for the way we want to work yeah and then control it there through language yeah. no one else I suppose also through language no one else understands you have yeah. to kind of get well, you into have it. to get into it and see that that keeps on bringing me back to mental health and mm. kind of what the I, I certainly know it's good for me to not always be in a sterile feeling always the same environment yeah. um, so it does make me wonder what the mental health impact is of being expected to sit day after day yeah. in the same office at the same desk uh, you know with electric lights on oh, if that's your totally every agree. day and if and also the the sense that if you're not okay with that you're abnormal yes yeah and i think i mean actually from there there is that we're talking about kind of getting outside from the office i mean the the world is urbanizing at a fantastic Mm. I use the word slightly advisedly. Um, rate and more and more people are moving to cities, and cities are having either kind of growth. Ex- they're having growth explosions, or where they've already had that kind of growth explosion, they're having that big density argument about how do you how do you densify mm. and how do you keep it human as well, and you, you create yeah. cities for people to yeah. live in rather than just it's weird true. concrete spaces. Um, and there, there's some really interesting stuff again. I'll pop it in the pop it in the show notes, um, but around designing cities for mental health. Mm. Or designing good, designing good mental health practices into into cities. Yeah. So whether that's um, creating spaces for people to get lost in. Um, yeah. London's an interesting for me. London's an interesting example because when you get into the old bit of London, it's very easy to get 
incredibly lost. Yeah, it's, it feels Annoying, very different it to does. some of the other bits of London. It's Annoyingly, it's where, it's where I normally want to get somewhere and end up in this winding thing. Whereas Venice, because I was lucky enough to go to Venice a few years ago, that is somewhere that's just beautifully lost. And you mm. go outside and you get lost. But there's a lot, and I think one of the differences between the two, obviously very different cultures, but Venice has got a lot of, of views of water. Um, mm. It's built yeah. canals, so but water's very powerful. Also, culturally, I remember lots of window boxes, trees in squares, elements oh, of the natural world that have been literally built in yeah. to that city as it grew. Um, there's a brilliant, there's a brilliant article. Um, the name of the blog escapes me temporarily, but we'll put, put notes in show notes. But around how successful cities who want to design for kind of good mental health and at human level integrate what they call kind of um, opportunities for biophilia so whether that's some trees or a parklet or oh, understanding the yeah. threshold actually between the city space and the rural space and enjoying yeah. that so it's or, not just um, packing in roads on grid lines no, and as many exactly. apartment blocks as so you can get as many people yeah, in this precisely. there's things about nudging people's behavior as well yes so, because like you know you and i both know that it's really easy especially when you're busy you've got you know you work full time you've got many claims on your time to just think right, I just need to get to where I'm going and I'm yeah. not going to pay any attention to what's around me I just need to do this and do that tick things off the list but then and it you know you could you can it's possible to design spaces urban spaces that allow people to do just that yeah. but then if you can also nudge people off course in different ways definitely allow opportunities to get lost yeah and even I mean even if you're not getting lost even if you have because I grew up in the city, a city at its best can be a beautiful model of mm. efficiency. Yeah. And it does allow certain processes to happen quite quickly. But if you, within that planning, if you can understand and, and put in opportunities, say for mini parklets or something to be uncovered. One of the great blog was talking about Paris and even how um, coming, like rounding, rounding the corner and in front of you, you see a, a traditional greengrocer's mm. with fresh produce. Yeah. They claim um, that it's it's not the same as going for a walk in the forest, but you get that biophilic response. Yeah, and there's some really good stuff. Oh. Uh, it's an interesting project in Vancouver. Some other half crests uncovered. Another one, I think it might have been in New York, where volunteers were sent out with phones and or phone app, particular apps, and asked to record kind of their experiences at different points in the urban geography. Ooh. And that was then brought back together. Yeah, um, and all the data sets were looked at and had happy. Did you film this place? Or what happens to be near a park or trees or whatever else, and actually on oh. big scale, on big urban scale, that kind of understanding was starting to be used to say, how do we put in places for people? Speaking of research, there is a growing body of evidence looking at how bringing outside elements into the urban environment has a direct and positive impact on the citizens. We found this absolutely fascinating and worthy of exploring a bit more. In researching this podcast, I came across something I read years ago um some research in the states about the financial benefit of having extra trees on your block Ooh, okay, and there's wow. something about um again we'll put the link in the show notes from memory i think it said that if you have an extra 10 trees on your your residential block it's equivalent to a ten thousand pound a year raise really yeah that's amazing it is and that's in partly in health so again you get that breakup yeah so it's not you're not in a sterile environment you're back in a you're in an, a managed ecological environment. Yeah. So yeah. you get that health benefit. Um, you get the the bit of forest bathing, though yeah. in the middle of cities. Yeah. How much the the tree immune system can. Immune system. Yeah. The yeah. benefits. Um, from that. Wow. But yeah, you get those. It was quite interesting as well. It was talking about um, 
house, something like residences in cold countries in winter get the benefit of trees up to six blocks away because it acts as a windbreak. Oh. So you actually don't have to have your heating on as high. Wow. Because so there's so many different things there. There's mm. kind of health spending on public health. Yep. There's the individual's experience. Yeah, and definitely. The, uh, the spending on public health, the spending on so heating mm. um, in winter because the trees act as a windbreak. Um, that's amazing. Well, I would have thought. I would, I would guess you probably have um, flood prevention. Yeah. And so on. So yes. trees are plants helping to drain things yeah. away but also it's creating like, yeah. the, the holes under the holes under the ground i'm sure there's a technical term <laughs> yeah. I, think, I don't know what i'm but, talking about yeah. but that kind of so water can drain away it's not just hitting a flat concrete surface and, and sheeting it's or, yeah. kind of going down and even if they don't use yeah. it themselves it's somehow getting into a water table or or yeah. wherever else so yeah i mean wow. great research and again financial benefits to greening cities as well as the fact they're just they're nice places to nice yeah. places to be good, good for people generally As we started to wind up our discussions, I think it's only fair to throw in a bit of a soapbox warning here. In developing outside places, which are good for people generally, it's really important to give those people places to sit, stop and reflect. However, this is something I feel really passionate about, so I dust off the soapbox, hang on in there, it's going to be fun. City Ventures, my... What's the problem with them then? What is my problem? Right, soapbox, let me elevate... Um, Imagine, so Worthing's a really good example of doing this, my, my current hometown. Um, outside, outside Poundland, um, and opposite <laughs> the body shop. salubrious at places. Yep, and outside the, opposite the body shop, yeah. to be fair to the end of town. Yeah. Uh, Poundland body shop, there were some benches, and the benches face each other, and they're yeah. just standard three-person wood slap iron, wrought iron jobbies. Yeah. But they're just far enough away that if you're in a group of, let's say, four people, or six people, and you want to sit down and have a conversation... You either have to lean right into the middle space mm. or shout. Yeah. Which, given that you're in the middle of a busy high street, and you might not, I mean, you might only be talking about what you're having for dinner, but you don't necessarily want to involve the entire world in the size no. of your onions or anything like that. Um, it's just weird. You can't talk. They're not spaces for people, people to come yeah. and sit. And I see this replicated across pretty much every town I've ever been to, all the benches next to each other, or they face the opposite way. Go to Monton, south of France. I've yeah. got some great pictures from them down there a few years ago. The benches are... This is this is going to make great audio. Um, but the, the benches are at 90 degrees, almost 90 degrees okay. to each other. Yeah. Um, they have... The ones I particularly liked had a two-person bench yeah. with an armrest and then a one-person on the end. So mm-hmm. it was essentially a three-person with an armrest. Yeah. And the other one had same sort of configuration so you could go in multiple numbers oh, yeah you could sit on the one so two people could sit in the one person spaces that were at 90 degrees to each other and have yeah. an almost private conversation yeah larger groups could have a conversation bigger groups yet could come into if you imagine the square yeah. so if you imagine it replicated yeah. it creates its own space yeah and it was a space to meet and talk and be and so people have choices through. there. Yeah. That's the thing that really strikes me is there are so many different ways that space can be used. And yes. it doesn't matter what your group size is, you have choices about how, you know, how you use that space. You could have a, uh, a one-on-one private conversation, you could have a bigger group, yes. you could have a couple, two different smallish groups that might coincidentally and serendipitously merge and meet each other. Yeah. There are choices there. Exactly. And because of the, the public nature of the outside, that outside mm. space, the ones, again, the ones I'm thinking of, we're in a, 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 a... I'm going to have to call it a clearing. It's the only way I can describe it where a couple of lanes met. It wasn't a square. It wasn't a formal space. It was sort of a clearing in between, mm. in between buildings. 
you had that kind of serendipity. People yeah. just wandering down to the beach, wandering down to the bakers, or wandering to church, it was next to a church. People bumping into one another, stopping, talking, actually having a moment of human connection. Um, yeah. Chicago wanted to do that with their mayor. Someone somewhere did it in Europe, I can't remember where, but I was in Chicago wanted to do it and actually put their mayor on a bench for a day, a wow. week. Now, they turned around and said actually the mayor at the time was particularly busy and couldn't do a day a week, but would make a real effort just to go and just sit on and a sit. bench outside where, where he's he, available. I think at the time, yeah, he, yeah. Um, where he's available, he can be seen. And you have that that thing, and you don't have to go into someone else's context. I think that's another powerful thing about no, outside. Yes, I'm, I'm sitting here in between Louise's two allotments, but it's not, I don't feel like I'm in your private space. No. If that makes sense. No, I'm, that's a really interesting point. I can point, see isn't others, it? I can see sky, I can see the river ooze behind us over a hedge. Yeah. It's a very different form of spatial ownership and spatial yeah, it feels much more relationship. Democratic, doesn't it? Yeah. From democratic spaces, or spaces that feel more democratic, we moved very easily to one final and shared bugbear, and that is around hot desking arrangements. People who had these hot desking arrangements, who had to pack away everything in the lockers overnight, let's say I worked a long day and I came in at 6pm, where are my friends? They went home at 5 as they probably should have done. I ended up, I don't know, one time I was actually out at an event, came back in thought... There's no sign of them, yeah, is there? I don't know where so-and-so sat all day. Yeah. Or which desk... Oh, I've got something I need to leave for someone else. Where do I put oh, it? Where do I there leave was it? No, yeah. There was no anchor point anymore. Yeah. And I know when I went to... And I'm having to go to a hot desking situation for a little while. Um, I felt very disconnected from the organ- actually from the organisation. And the people? Yeah, yeah, around me. It was very... Oh, that's really... There was nowhere to, really to put a taproot down. Nowhere yeah. to say, actually, this is, my, this is my bit. And nowhere for me to invite other people in yeah as well it wasn't so oh, come and see me here it was yeah. or find me wherever you can find I'll, me I'll be somewhere yeah the organisation yeah. the machine rolled on regardless I had to find my, I had to find a changing space within it rather yeah. than say you know what I'm really inspired I want a photo of my family my dog my cat and a plant on my desk because that's the things that I look at to get my moment that, of that, that inspire you make it feel like something. yeah feel yeah. like you have some ownership in the space because the other thing about that is all the spaces are then interchangeable which yes. kind of starts to suggest that all the people are interchangeable yeah which that's not a thing I like. No, it's not a thing I like at no. all. I mean, but it's at a you know at a subtle level that must impact the way people feel about work. I would guess so. Work. I would guess so. I mean, logically, I'll be honest. I mean, logically, it makes sense, especially if you're yes. in the public sector. Yeah. And even if you you need to create, like when you were saying earlier, a maximum office environment, you need to make sure that you're not spending a million a year on an office when actually you could have true. half a million and keep all your stuff. Yeah. It's that, there is that balance, but yeah. Finding a space, finding a finding a place, finding somewhere to get that, I suppose to come back to this podcast, that outside experience inside, whether that's looking at a photograph, whether that's um, having a green plant on your desk, yeah. somewhere just to go back to and sit and let your brain turn off for a second, a bit like sitting on the allotment here, Yeah, that's really valuable. Yeah. And it doesn't... It is valuable. And if you lose that, I think there's potential then to lose the sense of place. The sense of being human as yeah, well. Yeah, Exactly. It's a, it's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. And not everyone can have an allotment. No, sadly not everyone can have an allotment. <laughs> um, and in fact, my my home office, because um, I mostly work from home, um, is the room in my flat that has a balcony on it. So I don't have a garden. Very nice. But it has, so I often, in this weather, I sit with the doors open. And I'm connected with what's going on outside, the comings and going of my neighbours. And it turns something that could be quite isolating 
um, into something where I feel yeah more more connected, which is like and the other way. I other way I remain connected is through social media. Yes, which I find you know introduces random elements into my day <laughs> in, in, in a nice way. The more random, the better. Sometimes. Sometimes it, it depends how hard I'm trying to concentrate. Yeah, yeah, it's a balance, isn't it? Everything's a balance. It is. It's all a balance. But yes. Cool. Wow. Oh, cool. I okay. That's, that's, that's covered a huge amount of ground. We have covered loads of stuff. There's, there's probably more that we could could go into, but I think it's probably I'm, fair to. I'm sure there is loads more that to we put it all in, in show notes and, and let everyone go back to and enjoy the rest of their day. Yes. Get out into the sunshine. And tell us where your favourite place to listen is. Oh, yeah. Actually, that's as well. A, yeah, I'd love where, to know Where that. do you Where do you listen? When do you listen? Yeah. Are you on the way to work? How do you uh, listen? Are you at home? Yeah. Are you yeah. On the bus. Give us a bit of give us a bit of feedback. Yes. Please do. And tell us about your favourite outside spaces as well. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, lovely. Thank you, Louise. Thank you, Neil. I've loved that as always. Until the next one. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Good God, that covered some distance. (laughs)